0: Around the world, more than 80 women have accused Peter Nygaard of crimes ranging from rape to sex trafficking. He far exceeds Jeffrey Epstein. He far exceeds Bill Cosby. He exceeds anything that I think our world has seen so far. A pattern of predatory behavior spanning half a century. Nygaard denies it all. But now he faces criminal charges.
1: If this were a poor man? He would have been in jail decades ago. He is hid in plain sight.
2: Boarding houses don't always have a great reputation, also known as SROs or single room occupancy. Many are prone to fires and bed bugs, and some of them are literally falling apart. In Vancouver, they form a key part of the housing mix for some of the most vulnerable people in that city. A deadly fire at a Vancouver SRO in 2022 prompted a coroner's inquest. And this week, the coroner's inquest recommended sweeping changes to how these buildings are run and funded. Also this week, the B.C. Court of Appeal ruled against the city's attempt to create an SRO-specific rent control. Wendy Peterson is director of the Downtown Eastside SRO Collaborative. They work with tenants, landlords, and governments to keep people housed. Wendy, good morning. Good morning. For people who um, may not be familiar with SROs, just give us a sense as to how big of a role they play in providing housing in downtown Vancouver. I've heard them referred to in some ways as as housing of last resort.
1: They are. They're the last stop before homelessness. Typically, the rents tracked at about welfare rate, which is now 500 a month in BC, but now they're averaging about 750 a month in the privates. Um, many are converting up to $1,000 or more. And uh, per month, and some tenants are paying 100% of their income on rent. There's 7,000 of these rooms in total. That's a lot of rooms. Uh, I I don't think people quite understand the scale. Half of them are privately owned. Half of them are publicly owned. Um, Yeah, like you said, small, single rooms, 100 square feet, Mm. Um, not in good shape. Some are real hellholes, but some are really cute and Clean and well run.
2: And for the people who live in them, and when I say that it's housing of last resort, if these, if they weren't there, where would those tenants be?
1: Oh, 100%. It's the parks, the, the shelters, um, doubling up or tripling up, uh, triple bunking. People are homeless.
2: You kind of laid out sort of the, the the landscape when it comes to rent and, and the cost that people might pay for those rooms, explain this case that went to the court of appeal. What was the city of Vancouver trying to do?
1: Well, the city was trying to control the rents between the tenancies. There's a lot of real estate speculation. There's a high turnover in these rooms and there's a big rent control loophole, meaning the landlords can raise the tenancies between rents. So we're seeing the rent spike uh, quickly from 500 to to $1,000 or higher overnight. And we're really at that tipping point and we're seeing people slide into homelessness.
2: How often does that happen? That was the ruling that, that the court said the city couldn't try to control whether landlords could raise that rent on SROs between tenants. And so, so how often does that happen from your experience?
1: Oh, it's happening constantly. Every every minute of the day, there's two or three hotels that are in the process of doing that higher turn that that uh, rent eviction. So, um, two or three hotels a year adds up to a lot of housing. It's um, it's a costly problem to the public, uh, and it's costly to people's lives. Uh, and basically, the city. Um, put up a great a great fight kudos to them uh they created this bylaw called sro vacancy control and uh it uh the landlords challenged that in court and they it got shot down right away uh it went to the appeal court uh we brought 90 tenants with us uh to watch the court case and uh last week we heard the city lost the case and I texted some of the tenants that I know to, that came that, to tell them the bad news. And one of them said to me, Wendy, this means tents.
2: This means tents, meaning that people will be out of those rooms and living in parks.
1: Yeah, that was literally the text that he sent me.
2: As you mentioned, there, there are a couple of different kinds of SROs that operate in Vancouver. How different are the conditions depending on whether somebody's living in a privately owned SRO versus one that's run by by the nonprofits or by government?
1: Well, like I said, it's a mixed bag in terms of conditions. And I, I think that that goes for the nonprofits and the privately owned, to be frank. I think it really depends on the management model and uh, some struggle and and some are doing fine.
2: Tell me it's more a, about that in terms of the the, the the difference that you would see.
1: Well... In some of the privately owned hotels, you know, it, you'd see everything from violence against women, gangs, rats, elevators that don't work. Um, in some of the nonprofits too, there's they're struggling. They've they've got a lot of those things happening as well. And and then on the other end, there's cute, quieter places with like just seniors living in them. Uh, and there's everything else in between. It's quite, it's quite the mixed bag. The affordability and the conditions are the, the most difficult things to get at the same time. So either you're getting really cheap rents and bad conditions um, in the privates, or, um, you know, paying a lot more for better conditions.
2: There are landlords who say that they need to have the right to increase the rent or perhaps evict people for renovations. And and, one of them, Christopher Wall, has been quoted extensively saying that capping rents would make it difficult to spend money um, needed to maintain his rooms. saying that he pays market value for things like hydro, gas, taxes and insurance. He says if you remove the incentive for private owners to improve rooms, to replace toilets, to replace sinks, to have security, garbage removal, pest control, etc., then the rooms will just completely become dilapidated. Is he wrong? I mean, do they do the landlords not have, not have their own obligations here that they have to figure out how to pay for?
1: Uh, he's absolutely wrong. There are landlords that are doing quite well and keeping the rents like fairly reasonable. Um, and, I, you know, they make quite a bit of money off of these hotels. We've done the pro forma, the spreadsheets to figure that out. And and a landlord can still raise the rent. It's not a rent freeze, so every year they can raise the rent, and they can actually make an application to the province uh, to make uh, with vacancy control to make uh, a rent increase for all of the tenants in their hotels. But it would be adjudicated. The big rent control loophole that would close with vacancy control would be the right to be able to turn over the rents uh, when upon turnover of the tenancy, and basically. The landlords would kind of lose the incentive to kick people out because <laughs> we're seeing that, it, that landlords have the incentive because they can get such higher rents if they can kick out their current tenant.
2: So when they say that they need to be able to have the freedom to increase rents because that would allow them to put money back into, into the buildings, you're suggesting that's not true?
1: I'm saying that they can actually uh, still raise the rents every year, mm. once a year on the tenant. So, you know, 3%, 2%, whatever it is. And they can also make an application and show their books, explain their case to a, an adjudicator at the residential tenancy branch. And that would be a more functional way to deal with raising rents rather than, you know, having the option to kick out your tenants, which are either easy to move, kick out these tenants because they're very low income and very vulnerable um, and jack, double or triple the rents.
2: As I mentioned, in addition to this court ruling, there was also a coroner's inquest that released recommendations looking into a deadly fire at the Winters Hotel in 2022. Two residents died in that fire, and one of the inquest's recommendations was to end public funding of privately owned SROs. Can we just talk about the fire risk? I had read that in some instances there's a fire a day in an SRO.
1: That's true. there's a fire a day, and um, it's quite shocking. And yeah, my group, the SRO Collaborative, has a fire safety program that we're doing a small pilot in eight eight of the private buildings right now, and uh it it's a serious issue. Um, and yeah, we we can't afford to lose them the The winter's hotel was shocking. I knew one of the tenants there um, that died. And uh, my heart goes out to the families. It was it was a case where the there was a fire watch, meaning the fire suppression system wasn't working. Yeah.
2: The sprinkler system hadn't, hadn't been reset after a fire from the yeah. day before.
1: And the company hadn't come to reset the, the system. And that's when the candles lit t- created the fire. I think a lot of tenant education has to happen. And there's a lot of good recommendations there that are practical. But I also thought some of them were... I think they missed the uh, especially around this ending public funding to privately owned hotels. What would that I mean, do? What
2: would that do if there's not public funding in these privately owned hotels? What would that mean?
1: I think that is, is a bit misleading. I think it was a bit confusing. I think they were talking about the BC housing shouldn't lease privately owned hotels. I don't think they meant to end public funding to all privately owned hotels. If I had been making the recommendations, I would have said listen, we need to replace all 7,000 rooms. 7,000 rooms is a lot of rooms, and we need to replace them with self-contained social housing at welfare rate. Um, And we probably need about $4 billion to do that. And is that
2: the government doing this? We're going to speak with the Minister of Housing in just a moment, but there has been talk of, of, I mean, from that landlord and others, that the government could buy those buildings up. Is that what you're looking for?
1: Well, they could buy them, but they could also, um, it's going to take some time to buy them all. They could, they also need to do really big measures to preserve and stabilize the hotels, especially the privately owned hotels in the meantime. So the province would need to um, get in the game around the SRO vacancy control and fix whatever mistake was happening at the court. Um, We need renovation grants for the private landlords to keep them in the game. And we need, um, we like to have um, for the tenants peer pay who, for tenants who wanna help out in their buildings mm. to help the, keep the conditions good. And that's what my group and other groups do. Um, and it works. And, and along with that acquisition funding. Um, and we also, I noticed the city might be interested in the community groups having the, the first right of, of purchase when they come on the market. That's a good idea too. And, and that's happening in Montreal. And I, I think the recommendations missed some of these bigger picture recommendations.
0: If
2: work isn't done to make th- this housing safe for people to live in, so that they don't fear for their own safety when they go in the door, or when they go to sleep at night, what's at stake, do you think?
1: Well, people are also, you know, really wanting to leave and become homeless, and they choose homelessness. But that's a, that's a, a hideous choice. So we do want to do our best to make these beautiful, safe, cozy, friendly, community-oriented housing that people want to stay until we can replace them with decent social housing.
2: Wendy, thank you very much. Thank you. Wendy Peterson is director of the Downtown Eastside SRO Collaborative.
1: Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Café with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Café. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get
0: your podcasts.
2: British Columbia's Housing Minister, Ravi Collin has been listening in. Minister, good morning to you.
0: Good morning, Matt. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Thanks for being here. This is, as we've said, housing of the last resort. One of the things we learned during the corridor's inquest is people reporting that there were doors in this building that were chained shut. The sprinkler system didn't work. What was your reaction to what you heard from that inquest? Well,
0: well, I mean, tr- troubling, uh, certainly in this case, uh, where we lost, uh, you know, uh, people from our community. And, of course, condolences go to everyone that uh, know these, knew these individuals. Uh, the, the, the challenge, I think Wendy laid out a bit of the challenge in uh, the comments uh, earlier, uh, is, is a big one. We've got a lot of housing units. Um, We've got uh, also situations where uh, constantly fire department is at certain buildings. Um, Smoking is not allowed, Um, yet we know their smoking, triggers the fire alarms. And so it's it's very complex, Matt, and uh, we are working away at uh, addressing the challenges and, of course, accept the recommendations from the inquest.
2: What's the government doing to make sure that the buildings are actually safe?
0: Well, there's a whole host of things. We have been uh, already purchasing some of these buildings um, to bring them into the public space. Uh, part of purchasing them requires us to renovate them. We, are, we do believe, we as a government, that we need to move away from these types of units. They're not a long-term solution. Uh, and so in some cases, we're purchasing them. But when you have a building, say, 20-something units or 30 units, uh, and you want to make them self-contained units, it means you're actually losing units in the renovations because you need that space to, to be able to address it. So we're purchasing. Uh, in some cases, we are renovating. And, uh, and, you know, I think the challenge Wendy articulated it very well, the challenge we have is that um, there are challenges, whether they're not-for-profit or private, although most of the challenges we're dealing with are on the private side, uh, it's going to require a major investment. Uh, we are ready. We're at the table. Uh, we're desperately hoping the federal government understands that this is uh, has national implications. Uh, and if we come together, I think we can start to address the challenges that we have. I
2: want to come back to that investment in a moment. One of the things that we learned out of that um, ruling from the Court of Appeal uh, speaks to specifically what Wendy was talking about when it comes to how much money people are paying uh, in rent. The city of Vancouver wanted to control how much the rent can go up when a person moves out and somebody else moves in. The Court of appeal said that the city doesn't have the jurisdiction to do that because the province already controls those rents. What do you make of that decision?
0: Well, uh, we have our teams reviewing it. Uh, We weren't uh, uh, part of the uh, legal action, uh, so we weren't uh, following the court uh, case as it developed. Do you think landlords should have
2: the right to increase the rent when a tenant moves out?
0: Well, I think Wendy laid out the, the challenge that we're dealing with, which is, um, you know, in some cases, it's not only private. In some cases, not for profits are telling us that if we don't have that ability to be able to have uh, a little bit higher rents uh, to do the work, to, to make sure the buildings are maintained, then we're uh, also not making this project viable. So, although, although, as, as is, Wendy
2: said, I mean, the landlords do have the ability to increase rents and they can apply uh, for, for an above-grade increase.
0: Yeah, and we have uh, levels of vacancy control here in British Columbia that, that provides supports, but it is still a major challenge. I mean, if you see these buildings, uh, we know, for example, uh, there's a whole host of private help, but also not-for-profits who are saying, we just can't maintain these buildings anymore, and, and if any limits happen to us having the ability to have a little bit more uh, rent, uh, we may just have to you know uh, demolish the building and, and do something different with it. Then you've got uh, more people displaced. And so, it's you know, you pull one thread, there's another challenge. If it were that easy, uh, everybody would have that solution. But we're grateful because we have partners like Wendy and the SRO Collaborative. We provided them $11 million to, to support uh, the work that we want to do. Not only to purchase, to bring things back into the public hands, but also training and education, uh, both around fire protection and, uh, and making sure there's emergency plans in buildings. And, and so it's going to require partners uh, to work together to address this.
2: How comfortable are you with people paying 100% of their income in rent?
0: Not comfortable. Uh, of course, not comfortable. Uh, we need to address this challenge. But Matt, this challenge that we're dealing with when it comes to SROs is directly connected to the broader housing challenges that we're dealing with in BC. Uh, in and BC, right across the we country, have, yeah. Right across the country, but of course my focus is British Columbia. When, when you have a limited housing stock available to us, uh, those that have the means, those that have the ability occupy those spaces. And overwhelmingly, it's racialized communities, it's Indigenous communities, it's women that find themselves in more vulnerable situations. So that's why uh, the work we're doing in this space uh, is directly impacting uh, and directly connected to the work we're doing overall when it comes to addressing the housing challenges. And
2: so you have said, and you've hinted at this already, that there are some buildings that are being purchased. Um, We've heard landlords say that if You know, the government wants to ensure that uh, those uh, utilities are up to standard. Then the government could purchase the buildings and bring in uh, the level of of services that it wants to do. Uh, What's holding you back from that? The, The premier has talked about this, about phasing out SROs and replacing them with what he calls a more dignified approach to housing. He talked about this from before he was the premier. What's holding you back on that?
0: Well, the Premier's made this a uh, you know, high priority for us as a government and for me as a minister. We have actually already started uh, purchasing uh, many of these SRO buildings, but there's a lot of them. And, You've uh, also
2: and said, so- though, that you don't want to do one-offs, that you're looking at, in your words, a big overarching strategy.
0: Yes, we are, and so that work has been happening. Uh, you know city of Vancouver has been a good partner we 've been working closely with them, uh, but we need the federal government to be part of the conversation and uh, and it, to, to this point, they have not been part of the conversation uh, because it 's going to require a lot of dollars and uh, uh, we are moving ahead. We have uh, works uh, plan in the works that will uh, take us a, a step forward, and we 'll have more to say that in the coming months but the wholesale change, the massive change, that the reform we need, it's going to require a partner of the federal government. And, and so far, we haven't uh, heard uh, interest there.
2: If they don't come forward, can you go it alone?
0: We are going to prepare to go a That's the work we're doing right now with the City of Vancouver. It just means it's going to take longer. Uh, when you have a federal partner, you can take action much quicker. And, and quite frankly, uh, we need this action. I, I spent uh, time with Wendy. I'm grateful for Wendy taking me through the SROs, meeting with folks that are living there. You know, we don't want to see people living in that kind of condition. It's, it's not safe for many people in, in our communities. And, and uh, so we, we are keen to move fast. Uh, again, that we can move faster if we have a partner with us.
2: In the meantime, we'll end here. What is it that can be done now to ensure that the, you might want to replace those buildings, but people are living in them now, and they worry that they're not safe. The fire suppression systems don't work. As we heard, the building doors might be locked shut with chains. What can be done now to ensure that the buildings are safe?
0: Well, uh, that's the work that uh, we're doing with the collaborative where uh, we're working with folks that are living in the buildings to make sure understand their emergency preparedness plans, uh, how to ensure the building continues to be safe. We're working with partners on the ground. Uh, We have uh, a few buildings which we've deemed unsafe. So we're working with all of our not-for-profit partners to make sure there's housing available for them before we move in and close the building. So it's a lot of work. That work is happening right now. uh, and, And, you know, this can't happen soon enough.
2: Glad to have you as part of this conversation. It is important. Minister, thank you very much.
0: Thank you for having me, Matt.
2: Ravi Callan is the Minister of Housing for British Columbia. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.